Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Primal Potential Podcast, the incremental anti-diet solution for effective permanent weight loss. Primal Potential is committed to helping you overcome emotional eating, hormonal imbalances, unhealthy habits, and your dieting mindset through education and inspiration. We don't just talk about what you should eat and what you should avoid. We talk strategy. Primal Potential is bridging the gap between knowing and doing. Each episode will leave you with concrete tips for making positive changes that make a difference. Primal Potential is here to help you lose weight, get healthy, and master fat loss naturally. Hey there, welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Benton, and this past weekend, I released the first ever what I called The Random Show, where I went into a tiny bit of detail on a bunch of different topics based on listener questions. And I love to answer listener questions. One of them happened to be about soy. And I gave a very high-level overview of why I don't recommend soy products for people seeking fat loss. In short, basically I said, soy products can disrupt your hormone balance and impair the absorption of nutrients and fat loss being all about hormone balance. I basically said if if fat loss is your goal, then you really want to keep soy to a minimum. It's not quite what we think it is in terms of a quote unquote health food. And since then, many of you have emailed and reached out to me on social media asking that I take a deeper dive. So since I sort of opened Pandora's box on Saturday, I definitely want to take a couple minutes to go into more detail, clear it up, because I know there are a lot of big soy fans out there. As with all things... I think the takeaway is about the fact that we want to move towards more whole foods and away from processed foods. Just because something was once a plant, right, in the case of like a soybean or a legume, does not mean that after long periods of processing, it is anything resembling what you originally thought it was, okay? And I think that if we keep this paradigm in judging what is healthy or not healthy based on Is it processed or unprocessed? That is much simpler and is less likely to lead us astray than saying, oh, well, it's plant-based or, oh, well, it's healthy because any food manufacturer is going to try to convince you that whatever their highly processed frankenfood is, it's good for you, right? And the bottom line is the more something is processed, the more nutrients we are stripping from it and the more we are making it less food and more plastic, more not food, right? So if we think about this in terms of the spectrum of how processed is it, it doesn't mean we can't have processed foods, but the majority of our diet should be things that are largely unprocessed. And that's where things get a little bit confusing with soy. Soy is touted as a health product, a healthy thing, as plant-based. And we equate plant-based to healthy because that's the marketing message we receive. But processed is processed is processed. And most soy products are highly processed. And the 
act of processing, how it is processed, removes any potential health benefits that you think you can get. And inherently, even before processing, there are some real concerns with soy that I want to put out there. So I'm going to lay out my more detailed stance on soy. And if you want references or more information, head over to the show notes page at primalpotential.com. You can go to the podcast tab right at the top and the most recent podcast will be right there. Or you can go to primalpotential.com slash soy and I will link to research. I will link to additional reading and also some really great books that go into more detail on soy. I feel strongly that soy is mismarketed as a health food. I mean, who says it is a health food? Primarily, people who want you to buy it. There is money in it, and we need to question everything. Right now, I'm I'm sharing my thoughts on soy and what makes sense for health and fat loss and what doesn't make sense for health and fat loss, and I don't sell a soy product or sell a non-soy product. So when we look at, you know, Morningstar burgers or soya products or whatever, it's in their best interest to convince us that it's very healthy because they're trying to sell us something. So first and foremost, soy is a legume, okay? It is not um, necessarily, people will classify it as a vegetable. It's no more a vegetable than a peanut is a vegetable. It is a legume, okay? And when when we look at studies touting the health benefits of soy, I want you to always look at who funded, who paid for the research. And in most cases with soy, that research suggesting health benefits is paid by the soy industry. It is a massive, massive, massive multinational industry. And I say, question everything. If the people who are paying for the research are trying to sell you a product, might not be able to take everything they say so detailed. But don't believe me. Let's talk about the science. And again, some of the uh, the references supporting this information will be up at primalpotential.com slash soy. So soy being a legume, contains naturally high levels of phytic acid. Phytic acid is what I like to classify as an anti-nutrient, an anti-nutrient. It blocks our ability to absorb or metabolize other nutrients that the food contains or when we consume other foods with that, it blocks the absorption of the nutrients there. So phytic acid is found in a lot of different things, grains and other legumes. However, soy has far higher levels of phytic acid compared to other grains or legumes. So what does phytic acid do? Well, one thing that it does is it reduces the absorption of really, really important minerals, calcium, magnesium, copper, iron, zinc. When we eat soy, we impair our ability to absorb these really important critical for health nutrients like that. Here's the odd thing about soy. When we look at phytic acid in other foods, we can neutralize the phytic acid if we soak them. That's why a lot of people will say if you're going to eat nuts, soak them first. Or in sprouted grains, right? The sprouting process reduces the phytic acid. It neutralizes that. We don't see that effect with soy, okay? So we can't treat soy in different ways to reduce the phytic acid the way we can with other grains or legumes. So 
That means that the inherent anti-nutritive qualities of soy, it's much harder to get around them. The only way to make an impact here is in fermented soy products, and we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But this just puts soy at a at kind of the top of the offender list for anti-nutrients. So when people say like, oh, it's so nutrient rich, well, that doesn't mean anything if it blocks the absorption and utilization of those nutrients or the absorption and utilization of nutrients that you consume alongside it, okay? The other thing about soy is that it naturally contains protease inhibitors. Okay, we're getting a little technical now, I know that, but Proteases are enzymes that break down protein so that we can use it and metabolize it. Here's the thing, when people rely on soy as a source of protein, a lot of times they aren't taking into account that it naturally contains protease inhibitors, blocking the absorption of the enzymes you need to break down protein so that your body can use it. So essentially, much of the protein contained in soy can't necessarily be metabolized and absorbed. All right, here's where it gets personal for me and my personal approach with soy. I avoid it because it naturally contains phytoestrogens, phytoestrogens, naturally occurring estrogen-like compounds. Okay, these are estrogen mimics. They look and act like estrogen in your body. They can contribute to estrogen dominance, which makes fat loss far more difficult. A lot of people, especially women, but also men who struggle with excess weight tend to be estrogen dominant and therefore will benefit from avoiding any environmental or naturally occurring estrogen mimics, either in things like plastics or in foods like soy. So that is the number one reason for me personally that I avoid soy products. All right, continuing on the hormonal front because... Fat loss is really all about our hormones, our hormone balance. Soy naturally contains these anti-thyroid agents known as goitogens, okay? Now, they inhibit an enzyme which is required for the production of your thyroid hormones, okay? So these agents naturally occurring in soy products are basically anti-thyroid. They, they reduce your ability to generate your active thyroid hormones and, and they can impair overall thyroid function by suppressing your cell's natural ability to take up iodine. Iodine is a requirement for thyroid function and in soy are these anti-thyroid agents that are going to impair your cell's ability to take up iodine, which naturally reduces your thyroid function. When a lot of people talk about soy, they'll talk about MSG in the same conversation or monosodium glutamate, MSG. MSG is a known neurotoxin. It is a toxin that impacts, among other things, your brain, okay? And MSG is formed during the processing of soy products and it's also added to many soy foods. 
All right, one more, a uh, couple more things about soy and some of the research. Soy decreases testosterone levels. And one of the books I'm going to link to uh, on the show notes page at primalpotential.com because it has a great chapter on soy is called Primal Body, Primal Mind. And the author in there, uh, Nora Gadalgas, she talks about how Buddhist monks have been known to intentionally consume soy products to reduce their libido, right? They've taken a vow of chastity and And so they want to lower their testosterone levels. And one of the ways that they control their libido is by consuming soy. So if you're not a monk, it might not be the best thing for you. Just saying. I'm also going to link on the show notes page over at primalpotential.com, primalpotential.com slash soy, some research suggesting that soy consumption can alter the length of your menstrual cycle can impact your um, menstrual regularity. And that is because of the estrogen effect, the naturally occurring phytoestrogens in soy. I mean, that shouldn't be any surprise, but there's but there's some good research showing that. Here's another thing, and I'm going to link to this research too, because this is very important for women who are pregnant, who have children, or who will at some point try to get pregnant. This is This blew my mind. Ready? Babies who are fed soy infant formula have estradiol levels, estradiol is a form of estrogen, 13,000 to 22,000 times higher than babies who are fed a milk-based formula. I'm going to say that again because that's really powerful. And again, don't take my word for it. I'm going to link to the research over on primalpotential.com soy. Babies who are fed soy infant formula versus milk-based infant formula have estradiol levels anywhere from 13,000 to 22,000 times higher. That's crazy. That is the equivalent of about five birth control pills a day. Five birth control pills a day for your baby. That's scary. That's scary. And something else to keep in mind is that estrogen can cross the placenta. So if you're regularly eating soy or or not soy is not the only villain here, or if you're regularly exposing yourself to phytoestrogens or xenoestrogens from different toxins in the environment, that can cross the placenta if you are expecting. Okay, so again, I'm going to link to that research over on primalpotential.com slash soy. Now let's talk about the processing of soy products because I do not want to say that natural, unprocessed, fermented soy products should be totally unequivocally avoided. For some people, they should be. For somebody like me who's very sensitive to estrogen dominance, there's just no argument for me to eat soy. It's not like I love it and it's delicious and my life would be lacking without it. I don't really care for it and I don't want to risk any type of estrogen exposure for myself. That's something I'm very aware of. But if you are a huge fan of naturally occurring soy products that have been fermented, that are not processed, you can have it on occasion. It is really not soy that is the problem as much as it is the processing of soy that is the problem. Now, there are naturally occurring anti-nutrients and phytoestrogens and thyroid disruptors, so I don't want to take that away from it. However, the larger problem comes from the processing of soy products. People tend to think that it must be natural because it's plant-based, and that is not true. That's like saying that potato chips are natural 
because they're based on a potato. They're not. They're extremely highly processed. If you think that you're buying Pringles and you're just getting a sliced up potato that's been flavored and put into a can, you're so, so, so wrong. We need to question our assumptions on all things. And I I could spend an entire month talking about the processing process, but there are a few things that stand out to me as disturbing that I just want to throw out there. Again, on the spectrum of how processed it is, we really want to move towards less processed or not processed at all and spend much less time eating things further along the spectrum of highly processed, okay? So let's talk about this. Food manufacturers use hexane to process soy products. Hexane is a gasoline additive, okay? The soybeans are soaked in hexane before they are processed. And we would like to think that the hexane is totally removed, but the FDA does not require hexane testing even in baby food. Okay, and if you look at the EPA's list of hazardous chemicals, hexane is on it. So I don't know about you, but I would prefer to not introduce to my body this thing that I require for life, anything that's been soaked in hexane. That's just my personal preference, but different strokes for different folks. There is a difference between food and food-like products labeled as food and marketed as food. And I want to read you a description of part of the processing of soy. And you tell me if this sounds like food. You tell me if this is something that you would voluntarily introduce to your body because it's totally worth it. All right, I'm going to read this to you. The raw beans are broken down into thin flakes, which are then percolated with a petroleum-based hexane solvent to extract the soy oil. The remains of the flakes are toasted. That's the first word I've heard that sounds like anything that should be done to a food. But anyway, the remains of the flakes are toasted and ground to a protein meal, most of which goes into animal feed. Awesome. The oil then goes through a process of, this is where where it gets really sexy. The oil then goes through a process of cleaning, bleaching, degumming, and deodorizing to remove the solvent and the oil's characteristic off smells and flavors. The lecithin that forms a heavy sludge in the oil during storage can usually be regarded as a waste product, but now it's been turned into a valuable market in and of its own as an emulsifier in processed foods. Oh my gosh, are you ready for some soy? Who's coming for dinner? I mean, like, I just don't want to introduce something like that to my body on a regular basis or ever. The other thing to keep in mind is you buy some soy milk, right? You buy some um, veggie burgers, right? Soy-based veggie burgers. How long are they going to last in your fridge or freezer? For like ever, right? (laughs) The soy milk, it can just sit in the carton forever. Now, real soy milk, if you make it yourself truly from the soybean that isn't like in the silk carton in the grocery store, real soy milk only lasts a couple of days in your fridge, right? It's a real food, so it spoils. Processed soy milk that you buy at the grocery store, that's going to go a really long time before it goes sour. And you have to ask. Why won't the bacteria eat it? And if they don't eat it, maybe I shouldn't either, right? Anything at all that has a very long shelf life, I I have said before, if it has a long shelf life, it's probably borrowing from yours, right? Anything that 
doesn't spoil or doesn't spoil in its natural course of time should be questioned. And if bacteria don't want anything to do with it, probably isn't high on the list of stuff I want to eat on the regular. All right, then there is an issue I would be totally remiss. I would get a bazillion emails if I didn't say anything about GMOs. Now, GMOs is fodder for like not just a whole episode, but like a whole month of podcast topics. But I do want to say that soybeans soybeans are the single most genetically modified crop, period. Nearly 95% of all of the soy products found in traditional grocery stores are genetically modified, period. Okay, so it's hard to get away from that. And that's kind of something that, you know, if you're making an effort, you might want to move away from. And so when it's hard to get away from something that is genetically modified, treated with Roundup, might want to skip it. If you can't make a good choice, certainly don't settle for a really awful one. The best case with soy is going to be, again, your less processed products and the ones that are fermented because in the fermentation process, we can neutralize some of those anti-nutrients. So fermented soy products like miso and natto, because the fermentation does neutralize those protease inhibitors that uh, make the absorption of protein more difficult, as well as the phytic acid. However, you still do have the thyroid disruptors and the phytoestrogens. So if we're going to choose soy products, if that's something you love, something that's important to you, like no judgment, no worries, but move towards unprocessed, not soy isolates and highly pro- uh, highly processed byproducts of once was something that was soy, you know, right? The food product formerly known as soy. You want to stay towards the unprocessed end of the spectrum, edamame, miso, natto. Most of us, even if we are not seeking out soy as like a great vegetarian protein source, we're eating too much soy just in the way of processed foods. So really make an effort to move away from the processed end of the spectrum. And if you're going to indulge in soy, opt for less processed. Again, edamame, miso, natto. Choose organic. Choose organic when you can. If you're going to do this, I personally would not. But if if you are a big soy fan, look for non-GMO versions. Stay away from soy oils. I read you the processing. It's a nightmare, right? Choose uh, natural oils like olive oil or fish oil and things like that. I would encourage people to really think twice about soy-based infant formulas um, and soy products, even in processed foods, for young people, again, because of the estrogen exposure. But do not take it from me. I I did not write the book on soy. I've done my research, and I will link to it on primalpotential.com slash soy. I also recommend Primal Body, Primal Mind, which I will link to in the show notes, as well as The Whole Soy Story by Kayla Daniel. And check out the resources, because again, I don't want anybody saying, well, Elizabeth said, Elizabeth did her homework, and Elizabeth personally avoid soy, but check out the research, check out the references, and understand that we should approach all things in moderation. I don't want people thinking that just because it's plant-based, because it says veggie burger, it's good for you. That is not the case. Consider what has happened between whole food and that plastic wrapped thing that sits for three years in your freezer. They are not the same. Processed is processed is processed. 
And we always want to move ourselves, not just for fat loss, guys, but for health and longevity and energy and vitality and disease prevention, move away from the processed end of the spectrum as a general rule of thumb, remembering as always that the goal is progress, not perfection. Nothing is going to happen with one exposure to any one thing. If you are somebody that doesn't stress over, you know, Pepperidge Farm cookies, why in the world would you stress over soy, right? Neither one of them are the ideal choice for us, but if you feel like there is exception in your life for Oreos, then don't go bonkers over soy, right? It is a matter of of the big picture and a matter of perspective moving along the spectrum towards whole foods. So that's all I've got to say on this topic. If you've got questions, if you've got something you want me to dive into related to fat loss, right? Shoot me an email, head over to Primal Potential while you're checking out the show notes, get on the email list. That will give you immediate access to me via email and we can chat about things you'd like to hear about. Until next time, guys, stay healthy. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. My little brother's friends have been camped out at our place for two days straight. Three. It's because of the Xfinity 10G network. Internet that can handle a house full of screens at once with like basically no interruptions. And it's only getting faster. When I was their age, internet like this was a pipe dream. You sound like my grandpa. Please go home. Introducing the next generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. Restrictions apply, not available in all areas.